Welcome to our new show called The Islamic Dilemma. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and I would like to give you an idea about why this show is important. In our show, we are going to tackle a lot of important issues related to Islam. However, uh, as a former Muslim myself, I noticed that unless a person knows classical Arabic and knows how to research uh, the Quran and other uh, Islamic resources, it will become difficult to try to grasp the teaching of Islam, its doctrines, and also understanding the many things that uh, we are struggling with, especially in the West, concerning uh, Islam and the dilemma of Islam being a religion of peace versus the terror attacks that normally uh, Muslims or Muslim convert are associated with. And uh, throughout this uh, show, we are going to do our best to discuss many of the important topics and unique issues that deal with the religion of Islam. Uh, with me today, a very special guest, uh, his name is Bill. Bill, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Delighted to be here. Delighted. Welcome. Um, I want to also share with you uh, why this show is going to be a unique one. Um, as I mentioned, uh, unless a person knows the Arabic language, it will become fairly difficult for them to understand the many uh, hidden meanings and the many teachings that are only found in a uh, text of the Quran or the Islamic resources. Um, many times when I'm speaking to non-Arabic speaking people, I realize uh, how much, uh, uh, you know, or how little, I should say, they know uh, about Islam. In fact, uh, not only uh, non-Arabic speaking people, in fact, uh, Muslims who do not speak Arabic also that live in the West, like Europe or the U.S. or Australia or other countries like this, or even in Southeast Asia, um, I discovered that they do lack a lot of uh, understanding of Islam based on the fact that they do not know how to read the Arabic language. And, and Bill, would you like to comment on, on that uh, you know, yourself, for instance, uh, and your journey through your research about Islam? Well, of course, I'm not an Arabic speaker, nor do I read Arabic. So I compensated for this when I first tackled the Quran. I read as many commentaries as I could on it, but I also read the Quran in 10 different translations. I figured that between 10 different scholars, surely I could come up with the meaning. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned that you read the Quran in 10 different translations. Did you find that there were some uh, uh, differences between these translations for a given verse, for instance? Yes. There's a great deal is made about a better translation of the Quran or some such thing. And what I found was, comparing all ten translations, is that in general, they were all the same except on one issue. And if that issue involved violence, then you could see how the translators would dial that up or down. And so that was, the, that was really the main difference. That's a good point, and I can even add to what Bill just mentioned. For instance, there is a verse in the Quran that talks about the God of Islam, describing him as, uh, in the Arabic language, as the master deceiver. Mm -hmm. However, when you look at all of the English translations, uh, amazingly, uh, that very terminology has been changed over to a master planner, plotter. or master plotter, or mm -hmm. schemer. I mean, what was your reaction when you first discovered the actual meaning in the Arabic language, for instance? My eyes got big. 
I mean, I had never thought in my life of God being a deceiver and a schemer, and particularly one who would plot against me. Why? That's, uh, that's a very interesting thought. And of course, uh, uh, sometimes we are being told that you have to read that particular verse within its context. But when you read it within its context, it actually talks about a plot. And uh, one of which, for instance, a plot uh, uh, from the Romans and the Jews against uh, uh, Jesus, for instance, and the crucifixion of Christ. So uh, there is also within the context the concept of someone uh, basically uh, uh, you know, planning something and in this case, of course, uh, the God of Islam is, is being the one who is uh, plotting this whole scheme. Yes. And the other thing that disturbed me when I first read it was I discovered that Allah didn't like me at all. How does that make you feel, for instance, when you found something like that about a God uh, that is supposedly the God of a religion of peace? It was very disturbing uh, because I had been raised in the Christian faith and God was of love. And here was a God who could hate me, who was plotting against me, scheming against me. I actually had this mental image of, you've ever seen an ant farm? Yes. Okay. I got the image from the Quran that I was like in an ant farm and Allah owned me and he would be playing tricks with me, blocking off passages and stuff. It was a very unusual to have someone scheming against me. It, it was a mind adjustment I had to make. Well, thank you for that insight, Bill. Certainly, this adds to the importance of having a show like this one. Uh, we are going to take um, the teaching of Islam and its doctrines, and we're going to try to simplify it in a manner that is a non-Arabic person will be able to comprehend. We're going to take Islamic terminologies, and we will do our best to provide the uh, translation in English in a way also that will preserve the actual meaning in Arabic and be faithful to it, but at the same time provides a clarification uh, for those particular trans, uh, uh, terminologies, especially the teachings of Islam. That some, sometimes, uh, even in Arabic, it might be a very dry uh, teaching. So as you can tell, uh, so far, uh, the emphasis of our show is to bring to light certain teachings about a religion that uh, announces and proclaims itself to be a religion of peace, yet really when you get to the heart of the matter, uh, you are going to discover a lot of contradicting teachings within this religion and all of its sources that demand an explanation. And unfortunately, uh, the first hurdle a person will be faced with is the Arabic language. And as I mentioned, uh, not only in an Arabic speaking people are going to struggle with the meaning of these particular teachings, but also sometimes Arab-speaking people may also struggle with understanding and comprehending the meaning of those terminologies and the doctrines simply because many of them are written in classical language, Arabic language, uh, that is, that has been written over 14 or 13 or 12 centuries ago. Uh, Bill, um, before we continue with our discussions, I would like for you to uh, give our viewer uh, uh, something uh, more about your background mm -hmm. and also your journey in terms of uh, your interest about Islam and how did that uh, came about and how did it develop? I was raised in a very religious family and I developed an intense interest early on about the effects of religion on history. Uh, and this is a lifelong interest. And I also became fascinated with all other kinds of religion. 
I was raised in a very small town and I only knew one. And so after I left college, I began to read about all different kinds of religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism. And after I'd studied all these different isms, sometime in my early 40s, I realized that there was yet one religion that I had not studied and one that was enormously influenced on history, and that was Islam. So I did what anybody would do. I got a Quran, one of those big, thick, green books, and I started trying to read it. And how far ago was this? Oh, that was 30, that was 30 years ago okay. that I first started studying Islam. And, and back then you thought Islam has a lot of influence also. Well, I knew it was politically influential. But really my first introduction to Islam was with a Sufi teacher, Pir Vilayat Khan. I went to hear a lecture of his in Manhattan, and I was somewhat taken with the idea that here was something that was more Western than, say, Buddhism. And so I'd become quite interested in personal experience, and I started studying Sufism, bought a bunch of books on it, even went to Sufi dances and learned how to do some of the chants and moves. Um, I don't remember why, but that just sort of went on its way. Uh, but that was my first introduction, was through mystical Islam. Now, now, if you were to compare that mystical side of Islam, which, by the way, as a former Muslim, I can tell you, not a whole lot of Muslims consider it to be even an orthodox form of mm -hmm. Islam. Uh, if you were to compare it to the other isms that you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that was unique about it? Well, Sufism, which is what I, when I first met it, uh, seemed a lot like Buddhism from Arabia. <laughs> uh, it was, very, it was very mystical, it was full of beautiful images. So what you're saying, it was borrowing things from other isms, at least. It's, so it seemed. Yeah. But anyway, that was my first interest. And then after that, I didn't study Islam anymore until I realized that I didn't really know the Quran. So I wanted to pick up a Quran and read it. And of course, I immediately had all the problems that everybody has when they pick up a Quran to read. Uh, the only thing was, I had one thing which I noticed a lot of people don't have. I don't know how many people I've known who said, well, I tried to read it, but then I couldn't understand it, so I set it aside. And you're talking about the Quran in English, actually. Yes. Not yes. just in Arabic, but no, in no, the no, English, no. and you still struggled right. understanding it. I immediately rejected the idea that somehow or another you had to be Arabic to understand Islam, because it was contradictory. If this was a universal religion, then why couldn't a non-Arab understand it? And that's an excellent point because Islam really presents itself as a universal religion that actually, uh, if I want to summarize it, it's the final religion, final revelation by the God of Islam, by the final prophet, with a final book to all mankind, mm -hmm. yet the language used is a language that is only confined in Arabia. Right. And not a whole lot of people in the world would have understood it. And I noticed something else. People didn't drag out, particularly Muslims, didn't drag out the Arabic business until you stumbled on something that was unpleasant. And that was when the excuse came up, well, you really need to know Arabic to understand, Can say, you give jihad. us an example of that? Uh, well, jihad, for instance, or uh, that was the main thing. And it would be like, well, no, you need, to owe, you need to know Arabic to understand that. And I was like, I didn't really cotton or take to the idea that somehow or another there was knowledge that I couldn't understand. I mean, I hold a Ph.D. in quantum physics. That's a pretty arcane, difficult subject. 
But Muslims will tell you, you even if you get a PhD in the Arabic language, mm -hmm. you're still not qualified to analyze and critique the Quran because it's Arabic is just a divine Arabic right. and it's unique. In fact, I want to add to what Bill is saying. For there is a verse in chapter 9 of the Quran, verse, uh, verse 28 and 29. It talks about uh, fighting the infidels. And in this case, it talks specifically about Christians and Jews. And the word used in Arabic is translated to the word fight. Yet many Muslims, friend, Muslim friends that I have, or even uh, apologetics, uh, they will say that the word fight, actually, it's just a struggle. It's a, it's a spiritual jihad. But really, the context has nothing to do with that. It has to do with physical fighting, including killing, basically. Well, when you read something that says, cut off a hand and a foot, I don't think that's a poetic expression. I there is the no spirituality in here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. And uh, keep going. Tell us. Uh, uh, well, I was determined to push through. Uh, I took it as a personal challenge. Uh, and so I was just determined. And also I thought to myself, well, if an illiterate Arab can understand this, I can do this. And so I pressed on through till I got to the very end. Excellent point, excellent point. And then what happened after that, after you began to uh, uh, develop your understanding? Uh, well, was there at some point uh, a change over uh, once now you had the Quran and you began to read it? It became clear to me as I was reading it, because I'd read religious texts from all over the world, that something was missing with the Quran, that it didn't make sense. And so I began to look for what is missing. What will make this make sense? And of course, I then found that to understand the Quran, you have to understand not Allah, it's Muhammad that is the key to understanding all of Islam. And so this was my first big breakthrough, if you realize, it, it was to realize that it's not Allah, it's Muhammad is the key to understanding Islam. Well, Bill, I want you to hold your thoughts. We're coming up to a break right now. Uh, as you have been uh, hearing my uh, special guest, Bill, sharing about his journey uh, through understanding Islam and all of the nuances that he faced and how his understanding began to develop into a reality about the teaching of Islam. After the break, uh, I would love to share a little bit more about myself, and then we will continue with the dialogue. Pressure slowly building. An explosion that shocked the world. A coastline forever changed. The oil impossible to remove. Nothing could destroy it until the source was found, until that source was sealed. To uncover the source of Islamic terror, read the Quran Dilemma, Islam Unplugged. Welcome back to uh, the Islamic Dilemma show. Uh, I was talking before our break to uh, my special guest, Bill, about his journey uh, in terms of understanding the religion of Islam and how did that start and uh, the fact that uh, his first encounter was with Sufism and then later on as he began to study the Quran and then the biography of the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, his understanding of Islam actually shifted uh, from the mystical side into the real teachings of Islam. Before we continue with this interesting discussion, I would like, as the host of this uh, new show, to share a little bit uh, with you about my background. As I mentioned earlier, uh, my name is Al Fadi, and I am a former Muslim. Actually, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is considered to be the center 
for the Islamic religion. That's where Islam started it 1,400 years ago. In fact, specifically at the year 610 A.D., a, a man by the name Muhammad claimed to be the final prophet that uh, the God of Moses and Abraham and Jesus sent uh, to mankind. And as Bill mentioned, the understanding is that Islam is the final religion and the ultimate, actually, religion that all people since the year 610 A.D. must follow if they want to have any hope into uh, enter into heaven or even uh, reach in salvation. Uh, with that mindset, I grew up basically understanding uh, there are certain realities and facts about Islam that any good, devout Muslim must stick to, one of which accepting Islam as your final religion. And, of course, in Islam, you are taught that you're born a Muslim or people at a later age can convert to Islam. Uh, the second reality is that you have certain rituals and certain, uh, uh, you know, uh, duties as a Muslim that you have to do, um, one of which is the daily prayers, uh, the uh, annual fasting, the annual pilgrimage, and so on and so forth. I felt privileged myself the fact that I was not only born uh, in a country where Islam originated from, I was almost a drive away from the Holy Mosque of Islam, which is founded in Mecca, where the Prophet of Islam was born, and you're taught that praying over there and, and doing your rituals over there will earn you a lot of good deeds, even multitudes of good deeds that are much more than just praying at a regular mosque or praying at home. That was, to me, was very important. Uh, you can consider me someone who was a radical Muslim. I understood that uh, the only way for me to please the God of Islam, my God, was basically to stick to the teaching of Islam to the letter and the only model that I had to follow as Bill mentioned also understanding Islam is associated with a character and the character is Muhammad I too understood that the fact that I want to be a, a role a good Muslim I have to follow the role model of the Prophet of Islam one of which by the way was the idea of fighting in the cause of God and this opportunity was presented to me in fact uh, when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, late 70s, early 80s, and scores of young men, actually Muslim men, left to Afghanistan to form what is called the Fighters of God, called the Mujahideen. Osama bin Laden, if you recall, was one of those. Uh, I was very close to the bin Laden family. One of his cousins was actually a very close friend to me. And uh, when he mentioned uh, this move to me, I felt like this is my golden opportunity to go to fight and possibly even to die as a martyr. Uh, unfortunately, my parents, of course, as any good parents, rejected this idea. Uh, and it was very disappointing to me. However, I continued basically with my development of uh, what Islam is, uh, is like. I began to uh, uh, dig deeper and deeper into uh, the teaching of Islam until I became probably a very rigid person. And then after graduating from school, high school, I wanted to um, basically attend a university. First, I attended an Islamic university, and later I ch uh, changed my major into engineering. And once I graduated from that, I wanted to come to the West, specifically to the U.S., basically to try to get a graduate degree. However, my problem was that, uh, you know, Bill, people like you, I looked upon them as being immoral people that uh, you are a lost person, that you're a person that is going to hell, and my duty as a Muslim person is to invite you to accept Islam. And that was the presupposition that I came with when uh, I uh, came to the West.
And uh, my journey basically was transformed in terms of my understanding of the West and Christianity in particular when I came in contact with a Christian family. Just like you mentioned, your understanding of Islam transformed when you began to study the uh, life of the Prophet of Islam and his biography. My life changed when I saw the life of Christ in the life of this family. And uh, with that, I would like to uh, continue with you, Bill, about what happened after you've learned uh, more about the life of Muhammad and you began to connect those dots together mm -hmm. uh, in terms of understanding Islam. Well, you've reminded me of something. I spent eight years as a university professor, and I had several Arabic Muslim students. And they were the only group, I mean, there were Buddhists in my class as well. Muslims would proselytize me. They would come to my office, and we would sometimes hold what discussions about Islam. And uh, I remember telling one student, he was so proud of his Islam, and I said to him, I says, well, you know, really, you have the same religion every man does. He says, what do you mean? I says, you have the religion of your father. That is just about everybody's religion. And he didn't take well to that. But I said, you know, to be truly a religious man, what you need to do is to experience all the different religions, and then you can pick which is best. He was horrified at the suggestion that he would ever do anything outside of Islam. Certainly, and I can relate to that because, like I said, uh, psychologically, you are uh, brainwashed to believe Islam is it. This mm -hmm. is the final revelation. In fact, some of the challenges sometimes that I, I, I direct towards uh, uh, my Muslim friends is asking them the question, what if you are not born a Muslim? What will you do? Mm -hmm. Aren't you going to go and search? And indeed, that's what Bill was suggesting. You go and you search and you compare and you will come to realize that Islam is just another ism. Mm -hmm. just like the other isms that you've dealt with. Uh, so tell us more about, uh, uh, you know, your understanding of Islam before September 11 mm -hmm. and after September 11. Well, I had enough understanding of Islam that on 9-11, uh, someone had told me that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Tower, and I thought, hmm, well, there was a time when that happened during the Second World War. A bomber hit the Empire State Building, so I knew it was a statistical possibility. So I went and turned on the TV, and a minute later, the second plane hit the second tower. Right. I stood up and said, it is jihad. Islam is here. Turned off the television and have not watched any TV since. Uh, I knew I had enough understanding of Islam that now was the time to make it deeper. And so I went back to the problem of how to understand the Quran. Was it terrifying, by the way, to, to see uh, what was going on? Uh, did you uh, uh, understand it to be maybe a holy war against the West? Oh, when I, like I say, when I saw the plane hit, I said, it is jihad. Because the second plane hitting the second tower, I've studied enough statistics to know, no, that's not, a, that's not practical possibility. So you didn't take jihad as just a spiritual struggle. You took it as a physical war. I didn't think of jihad as a spiritual struggle until I met apologists for Islam. Once I started learning the doctrine of jihad, uh, then I heard, well, jihad is really the greater jihad, the inner struggle, you know, and all spiritual, Christians and Jews have their own spiritual struggle. But by this time, I'd read the Quran, and I knew that spiritual struggle didn't mention beheading. Now, Bill, you do have statistics on your own website. Would you like oh, to yes. mention the website and also how people can go there and, and take a look at some of these statistics you're talking about? 
I have a website. I've published uh, over a dozen books, including a Quran. That's one thing you and I have in common. True. And what actually brought us together. Uh, you can look. You can meet a lot of people and not meet anyone who's had to do with publishing a Quran. So you and I are unique in that way. Uh, but my key to understanding the Quran was the insight of Muhammad, that he was the missing piece. Uh, and so I, as I read more about Muhammad, it became very clear to me that he was a political person. And then I began, a lot of things then began to fit into place once I realized how political Muhammad was because everyone is told, well, he's a religious leader. He's a prophet. And certainly, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will address the life of Muhammad at some of our future shows, so you will begin to uh, gain more understanding of what uh, my guest Bill is talking about. But once you see Muhammad and like, uh, his political nature, that gave the whole Quran a different cast, a different shade. All of a sudden, it became clear to me that there was not as much religion in the Quran as there was politics in the Quran. And what was your website where uh, Political, this studies? Politicalislam.com. Uh, again, it's politicalislam.com. And uh, some of the statistics you uh, showed in there were very well, interesting. For instance, I believe, uh, I'm going by memory, that almost 30-some percent of your findings from the, uh, the Quran and the uh, Sirah or the traditions of the Prophet himself and his biography emphasize what we call physical jihad, basically, right. and the language of pol political language, basically. Oh. The, uh, as we will develop this, the f once you begin to understand the Quran, you and I both know there's two Qurans. There's the early Quran written in Mecca and the later right. Quran written in Medina. And this really is pivotal to the whole idea of the dilemma of Islam because Muhammad in Mecca is a very different man from Muhammad in Medina. And the Quran in Mecca, a very different book from the Quran in Medina. And Bill, that's very interesting, uh, and it really serves as a segue to continue uh, with you about my journey. After my encounter with true Christians, I uh, fell in love with Christ, and I did a lot of research and comparisons between the teachings of Christ and the Bible compared to Islam. And as a result of this, I made the choice to follow Christ. And uh, the Lord has blessed me with a number of uh, ministries, one of which is a teaching ministry about Islam and outreach to uh, our brothers and sisters in humanity, the Muslim people in particular. And also uh, some of uh, uh, this uh, ministry evolved into translations of some of the Islamic literatures and teachings. And uh, the pinnacle of this resulted in a book that I had the privilege to be a co-author and editor and also project manager of. This book is called The Quran Dilemma, and I would like to show you a uh, picture of it. And you can find this book in my website, thequran.com, and also you can find uh, information about it and about myself in my blog, thequrandilemma.com. And hence, uh, the word dilemma will carry over not just from the show, the Islamic dilemma, but also into the teaching of the Quran, and we will uh, study the Quran in uh, the next show, and we will dig deeper into uh, the content of this book. And then we will talk about the dilemma of Muhammad and his life. Uh, Bill, um, we're running out of time, and I uh, tremendously enjoyed, uh, you know, this uh, segment of the mm -hmm. show uh, with you and listening to your background and hope that we will continue with this. Uh, uh, I would love to uh, have you join me again uh, in Delighted. our next show so that we can talk about the Quran in particular.
Excellent. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed our very first episode of this unique and historic show, in fact, uh, about Islam and the dilemma that this particular religion has. And we hope that our show will be an educational one. But most importantly, uh, we hope that it will become a legacy that you can refer to in the future. Uh, until then, uh, I am your host, Al Fadi, and I wish you all a mega blessing. <laughs>